This evening's lecture is part of a season of debates, talks, lectures and an exhibition the RA has organised to explore the future of housing. It's a question that has become increasingly urgent in recent years and with the country now gripped by a housing crisis, uh, housing is now one of the key issues in the lead up to this year's general election which very much provides the backdrop to our season. This evening, however, we take an international perspective to welcome Tatiana to the Royal Academy. This lecture and the earlier roundtable discussion on housing in Mexico, we've put together as part of a broader programme uh, that is part of 2015 as the UK-Mexico dual year of bilateral cooperation. And it's my great pleasure to invite His Excellency, Mr. Diego Gomez Pickering, Ambassador of Mexico, to say a few words about this endeavour and to introduce Tatiana. Thank you very much, Owen. It's a great pleasure for me to be at this beautiful building that serves as the headquarters of the Geological Society in London. I'm very happy to see that Tatiana Bilbao, Tatiana Bilbao's conference, has attracted so many of you today in that this series, The Future of Housing, as Owen was rightly pointing, provides us a platform to discuss the challenge, not only in the UK, but also beyond its borders, like it is in Mexico, the challenge that is to find and to, to think of housing in the future. Eternally, a uh, thing that both of us, as countries and societies, share, and a thing that both of us can think together in order to find a more affordable and certainly attractive solution. This conference is part of an ambitious program that we have prepared, along with the UK, for the British audiences to celebrate the Year of Mexico in the United Kingdom. The government of Mexico has lined up more than 100 activities that include exhibitions, concerts, festivals, academic workshops, artistic residences, as well as trade missions, business forums, and conferences like the ones we have today. There are also research projects, grants, scholarships. A great number of activities that celebrate a very long-standing relationship, that of Mexico and Britain, a relationship that has been in place for almost 200 years. The cultural program of the Year of Mexico in the UK was built as an interdisciplinary model that highlights the rich millenary past of our country and its tradition, and at the same time contributes to portray Mexico's contemporary art in the global scene and the dynamism of its creative industries through cinema, music, visual arts, design, literature, and, of course, architecture. We're very excited that Tatiana, one of Mexico's most renowned young architects and who has worked in very different projects all over the country, from the Botanical Gardens in Culiacán, the Funeral House in San Luis Potosí, the Universe House, designed alongside contemporary artist Gabriel Orozco in Puerto Escondido, Oaxaca, or the Center for Scenic Arts in Guadalajara. We're very excited that she is here with us today to share her vision on the future of housing. Just last year, Tatiana received the Global Award for Sustainable Architecture, and I am sure this is one of many more awards to come in her very bright career. I'm happy to see that a new generation of Mexican architects have been garnering recognition, applause, and admiration. Their expressive quality, innovation, and visual impact is being showcased around the world, and I'm hoping these and other platforms will serve to debate and find solutions to public and living spaces. I would like to extend special thanks to Owen Hopkins and the Architecture Department team, as well as to Manuel Diaz Ebrián for their enthusiasm and invaluable support in promoting quality architecture in the United Kingdom and for including among their speakers today. Mexican exponents like Tatiana and, of course, Infonavit's director general, who's here as well, the great friend Alejandro Murat. Exponents of the reality of contemporary Mexico and exponents of the great creative impact that we have, the creative impact that we want to share with UK audiences. I hope all of you enjoy this evening. Thank you very much. Before Tatiana comes to the stage, just say a few words about her, as we've heard, she's one of Mexico's leading architects and is part of a generation of Mexican architects who are increasingly making their mark on the world stage. 
She graduated from the Universidad Iberoamericana in 1998, uh, but just to mention a couple of other things, in 2012 she received the prestigious Kunstpreis Berlin and is currently visiting professor at the Yale School of Architecture. Owen, um, thank you the Royal Academy and thank you the Mexican Embassy in the UK, Mr. Pickering, for having me here. I'm really um, honoured to be speaking tonight uh, to you. I, I thought I, I explain uh, my vision on housing through my work and focusing especially on what we've done with housing. I, I like to talk about it I, as home. Uh, so I will, I will start um, uh, a little bit showing you that in the beginning when I started working, I had beautiful commissions such as a botanical garden where we are continually working or a building for a university. We created building for a, for a concert hall or a funeral house. And we've worked also for a pilgrimage route. And it was really beautiful to be participating in these incredible projects that had just amazing programs. But always something was in my mind that I was not working really for what I think architecture is responsible for, which is, which is housing. Definitely a secondary, or not a secondary, also a very important thing is working in the environment, in the public space, but the most urgent, urgent need for someone is their own private space. And we were not working on it, and, and that was worrying in me. And we were not working not even in, in great, in great uh, commissions for incredible houses. We were not working in, in, in dwelling at all. So, but finally, for my interest and my preoccupation for it, we started working, first inventing our own work for dwelling, and I will explain that later on, and, and now com being commissioned. So we've, um, right now we're trying to explore also different types of, or different ways of possibilities of dwelling and, and inhabiting a place, such as this project in uh, the outskirts of Barcelona, in which we're trying to experiment how to to use a flat land to create diverse uh, situations in it and, and perspectives. So we thought of different um, uh, ways of approaching the idea of getting to understand the landscape and, and achieve the comprehension of it by using the, the, the part of the, of the valley, by going up and uh, having the, the landscape around you, or by going down and using the creek. And this is how we develop um, this scheme, which is now going to be built in the outskirts of Spain. So I, as I said, we're not only experimenting with what a dwelling means, but also what the experience of it means uh, to enhance life. We, as I said, had had many different commissions, and not only in terms of program, but also in terms of scale and in terms of diversity of, of the people who inhabited. So, um, a house that um, we worked uh, 10 years ago, more or less, uh, nine years ago, was this house in, in the outskirts of Monterrey, the second largest uh, city in Mexico, second most important one as well. And, um, and the client asked us for a, for a house, uh, for a flat house. And when he shows us the site, we said, you want a flat house in this hill? It's going to be hind, kind of hard, we, or we dig the half of the mountain to do that, or, or we create a structure that flies out. So um, one of my understandings of architecture is really to, to, to be able to build architecture, and that means including many things. That means including the needs of the client, the needs of the place, the needs of the, of the context, the needs of, of the ruling, of, of the budget, and in this case, a client wanted a flat house. And I, I went into it and went, why would you like a flat house? And he wanted the fluidity of the space of one, a, float, a house of one floor. 
and he wanted to live like that. So I said, we need to translate that into an architecture that goes with the site. So we created a system where we started with a hexagon, a pentagon, sorry, and, um, and uh, we decomposed the pentagon to adapt it to the, to the mountain, to the topography, to the trees. And, um, and by doing so, we created a series of cells that were attaching to each other, that, um, that were uh, spaces by itself. And uh, when, you, when we put them together, you create a, a fluid space that going from the living room to the dining room to the kitchen, uh, it takes you only one or two steps. So the fluidity of the space is there. Obviously, it's a, there's a trick, and you can go directly uh, with a set of stairs uh, and meander through the house more directly. But the, the whole idea is that you have the experience of going up little by little, so you really have the, fluidi the fluidity of the experience. No? When I started working, um, when I started studying, sorry, more than working, um, Parametric architecture was the thing to go, and I learned. I learned through it. I learned in the, in the moment where parametric architecture was the way to go. And obviously, as being a young um, student and and then a young architect going out to to build things, I was trying to to do things that were new, that were global, that were there. And um, so I started working and trying to figure out how to. Uh, to discover, if there was something to discover there, uncharted geometry. So I was, I was trying to look for, for what could uncharted geometries give us to space, give us to architecture, give us to, to building things. And I realized that, um, that it was quite compelling, part of uh, what the house in Ventura was, was about that. Uh, and I continued working on that until we arrived to this commission, which is a very strange commission because it was um, what we had to achieve was to build this, this house, which was designed by Gabriel Orozco, designed or mainly taking the idea uh, from an um, from existing observatory in India named the Jantar Mantar in Delhi. And uh, what he wanted to do is he wanted to create um, this observatory to transform it into a house and build it here in this beautiful beach in the south coast of Mexico. Uh, so we help him, we help doing this translation, but the most important translation we did was how to really achieve and build this thing in this site. It looks simple, it's a simple scheme, it's a, it's a semi-sphere with four rooms, which it truly looks simple. And for us, uh, when we were developing the plans, was very straightforward. And what we did, because we were working with Gabriel Orozco, which he's a little obsessive man, very fun and incredibly amazing person to work with, um, but obsessive, nevertheless. And um, so we developed, like, we were, from during eight months, we were developing plans and drawings and beautiful drawings and testing things in the, in the office, doing mock-ups and doing, again, beautiful drawings, and then again, a new set of drawings. And we arrived in sight. Uh, we decided, since we started uh, of thinking of this house, uh, to, to, to use the people of the little village to build it. And... Um, for many reasons, no? it was the correct thing to do, but it was not only the correct thing to do, it was a good thing to do because they knew the place, they knew the, the things that we needed the, to someone to compliment us on it, the, the, the little local things about it. No? So in this remote place, it was really good. It was also good to connect with the community, so many, many things. Um, but for, for, for the construction, it was very, very challenging. Um, because these people were totally unqualified to do this work. And, uh, and for me, that like, eye-opener was very important because these people definitely, they don't know even how to read. Imagine plants, forget about it. The, the plants were done, beautiful, saved in our office, never in the construction site. Um, and what I realized, and what was most important, and I think a turning point for my career, 
was that these people is the people that mostly mainly work in the construction business in Mexico and in many parts of the world, but in Mexico it's what it is. And they, it's really an amazing hand labor that we have incredibly creative, absolutely dedicated and willing to do whatever uh, in a very low and affordable way, which that brings also another consequences, but that's another story and another lecture, and we will not go into that. Um, but, uh, but they're definitely not qualified, and it was already hard enough to, to, to make this house, this simple geometry with the semisphere and walls that support the semisphere, was really difficult to build in this environment with this hand labor. Was very, very grateful. It was amazing at the end, and I could say many things about it. And as I said, the most important thing we learned from it was that this is the people that we're building our architecture with. And then, therefore, to design with it, how we could really understand contemporary architecture, propositive, uh, and, and achieving what we wanted to achieve with architecture with the conditions we have. So parametric architecture was totally out of the question, but also what I was searching on uncharted geometries it suddenly didn't make any more sense at all because, as I said, who would build it and then why? We would really be able to build incredible architecture in our context, not needing nothing else but the beautiful resources that we have with geometry and composition. So from then we started doing a series of houses that um, were contemplating these things and that um, also the, the house from Gabriel Orozco was very helpful to as, for example, of understanding that uh, having windows in a beach site is windows as glass in, in this weather is kind of not necessary. So then we created a house that it depends in, it's totally open, it, it's only two platforms, it has no, no glass at all, um, and uh, it has shutters in case you want to have more privacy to sleep, but it, it doesn't bring uh, a single glass in, which is a total foreign material. So materials, something that I'm, that I think uh, and, and in, in many ways you see and you say, uh, concrete, concrete is not a natural material and sustainable material. Well, in Mexico is, because why? We don't have wood, for example. We don't have wood plantations. So wood is the worst, worst sustainable material you can imagine in Mexico. Um, we don't have... Uh, we don't have many resources, technological resources, so the best materials is what you can get from gravel, from the, from the mine behind. I know it, what comes with it, etc., and we can also go into it, that discussion, but this is a, a good material to use. And if you don't add the materials that are imported, at least from these regions, like glass, then it becomes really materials that you can get in the locality. Uh, but then we discover a, a, a material that it's much more incredible, that it doesn't work everywhere, but in some, it, in some places it works, which is the compacted earth. And, um, and we discover it because it's a, it's a material that has been used since the start of the humanity, uh, but we never thought of it, we never used it, and this is why I say discovered, uh, discovered for us, and, um, and, and, and we discovered it because um, we got this commission of, uh, of, a, of the sister of a very important curator in Mexico, Patrick Charpanel, and her, si and her sister, Viviane, approached us and said that she wanted a house uh, being built and designed by us uh, in this beautiful land with a, with a view to the lake, uh, in the back to the mountains, beautiful place, and she had uh, three. Uh, she had uh, an idea of building a house of three hundred square meters, more or less, uh, with big double height, uh, a studio, walk-in closet, uh, etc. Her dream weekend house, and then she said, "I only have a million and a half pesos, which is um, 
80,000 pounds, more or less. And um, so that's very little budget, even in Mexico. I, I, I think here it sounds ridiculous, but in Mexico it's still a very small budget. So then we said, um, what? okay, she left the office, and I said, it's going to be impossible. She needs to or increase the budget in double or decrease the, her idea of house in half, at least, so we can achieve something interesting. And then I thought, then, then she's going to go away, and we're not going to be able to do architecture. So as I said in, in the beginning, I believe that architecture is a built environment. And we all can do incredible projects and dream about them. And I love to dream about architecture because, because of that, those dreams when they become reality, they really change the world. But we also have to make architecture and we have to work for people. And these people have restrictions. And if I would have tell her to decrease her, to her dreams, that would be really sad. And, and to increase the budget, that was not a question. He she didn't have the money, just didn't have the money. So, um, so I thought, no, we need, to, we need to do something. We need to work it out. We need to really find a solution because then we were doing architecture what the responsibility of architecture it is. So we got into the idea of uh, understanding a material that would allow us this. We needed definitely a material that could be everything, that could be the structure, that could be the, the insulation, that could be the final aesthetic definition at the same time. So we were wondering on these kind of materials, obviously concrete was out of the way because of the, of the costs. Um, uh, as I said, wood in Mexico is not even a question. Uh, Steel, forget about it. Then brick came into, into, the, into the table. But brick needs a substructure, so then mm, not so well performing. And then we, I remember, uh, I was recently at a project of Mauricio Rocha, another very incredible Mexican architect and colleague that did, that was, that at the time recently finished a, um, a school, a, an art school in Oaxaca. And I called him, he said, Mauricio, you need to tell me everything about compacted earth. And he did, he was very kind. And then after that, understanding the material and how it worked and how it performed and how it was its best performance, we designed with those, with those inputs. So we understood the thickness, what was like the correct one to do it. So we didn't push the material to the limit. That was the first thing we had to do for, for achieving the budget. And we didn't, uh, also we didn't push the, the construction restrictions to the limit with the material, meaning that uh, the best idea was to uh, hire the, the guy that already did the, the work for Mauricio and did already many, um, many tests on it. So he knew, he even built, um, for, for Mauricio's building, uh, uh, he, he already built, um, for Mauricio's building, uh, a framework, that, a steel framework that, that was still working. So by using those things, uh, we were able to achieve the budget. So we designed within those constraints. So what we did is a very simple move of making two squares that contain the more public area of the house one of it and the more private area of the of the house in the other one and by overlapping two other ones uh and uh, and uh, creating there the services for for the two areas we created just the design um, we lifted up the roofs in a, in in different directions so they could achieve the views to the lake or to the mountain depending on the space more public to the lake the more public space and the more private to the mountains um, the, um, the the slabs, the roof, and the and the and the floor, they're concrete. This this way, we could achieve foundations at the same time as um, uh, waterproofing roof for the house. So, as I said, we wanted to achieve a very um, uh, efficient, for else to say it, uh, way of of building. And uh, obviously the interiors are very raw, very simple, because the budget would allow us and take us to create a house of the dimensions and proportions that she asked, but uh, not, nothing else. 
the tubes you see there, they're not structured there. Um, the water drainage from the two tilted roofs. And in the case of the exterior, these two tubes, which also help as the drainage, uh, rain, rainwater drainage system, help support the overhanging structure for the terrace. I, uh, I was amazingly um, glad when uh, the client decided to get involved when we were doing the research of the compacted earth. And she, I think this is other, one of the other achievements that I, I've learned through, through this process, that it was how important is when um, the, the person that you're designing is involved in the, in the design itself. And um, someone was saying there, and Amy was saying in the round table that, and sorry, <laughs> uh, in the round table that, um, that uh, building your own house is like building your own cake and you, you, you become proud of it and you, it becomes your space. And so I, I learned that we architects should be more the, pro the providers of the platform and for the people to, to create their own designs. And I'm glad to say that in this case, we, we did and we managed. Finally, we started working in, a, a, in, um, in social housing. And this was uh, uh, 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. No, eight years ago. And, um, and this is our first approach to what we've been very political about. And we, um, I was, uh, since very long time ago, as I said in the beginning, uh, realizing that the most needed was that architects return to the housing discussion. And I think uh, for now, that would be really a change. That would be the future of housing. Uh, in resume, if we architects go back into the story of producing it. And, um, and I was very uh, worried about uh, what was happening in Mexico, about these uh, units that was, were being built at the moment we built this one, of repetitive single houses, 20,000 units. And, um, and then it came this problem that there's, it's a little town in the outskirts of Mexico City where uh, big rain happened and uh, the hills on the side started to, to crumble around and they took away many houses for the people who were living in the skirts of the, of the hills. Uh, it's an Angeon, six, 600 people, um, 600 families lost their, play, lost their homes and, uh, and the government proposed a plan of doing these little white boxes, uh, aligned sleeping coffins as I call them. Um, and, and we were able to enter the discussion and say, please don't do that. You're going to create, the only thing you're going to do is uh, a place where you're going to spend a big amount of money for 600 families that in two years are going to return to the, to the living in the, in the hills because this would be a horrible place for them. So it was a very political thing and it was very difficult to convince the government and finally we did. Um, and, uh, and we convinced them to, that they allow us at least to create the urban environment. So we were, the negotiation went that we couldn't change the design of the house, but we could do the, 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 the urban development. So we created a total different scheme originally, and I'm sorry it didn't have the original one, but the original idea was to wipe out everything and do straightforward houses of uh, aligned homes 20 or 30 at the same time without a street in between and just aligned in a perfect straight line with an incredible topography and a beautiful landscape, it didn't matter. And, um, and uh, at that time, I was, uh, I was saying, well, okay, the house, the typology of the house, of the small unit needs to change, yeah, definitely. But in 43 square meters, which, was, which is still what you can get for, for these uh, for this amount of money normally in the workers' house housing system, um, it's very little. There's very little things to do, or a lot has been done to improve these 43 square meters. And obviously, some of the houses work uh, and and um, and uh, do better, but but it it's very little change. 
So my example was always um, New York. New York City, uh, people pay millions of dollars for a 30 square meter studio in a dark, horrible uh, building that it's falling apart. And why? Because of the environment. Why? Because what the city offers. Why? Because the city pays that. Because the city is your home. Because the city has incredible jobs, has incredible culture, and has incredible education, health services, etc. So, but if so, if you're not able to provide that, then the 43 square meters become very, very important. So I think that the discussion goes into topics. So in this case, we lose the battle of, do, of, of uh, designing the 43 square meters, but we won the battle of designing the urban environment. And what we did is what we convinced them to use the same single uh, repetitive design they had and to use it in different ways, to create dwellings of, uh, of two floors, uh, uh, two different dwellings that are on top of each other, so density, uh, to create some of them that are in, in single plots, and to create a diversity for the people. People are different. They're not numbers. They're people, and they're individuals. And luckily enough, people, when they just moved, they started getting a, a appropriation of the space, and, um, and they really now are really taking advantage of this space and I think that what we created, differentiating the little neighborhoods and doing uh, this idea of creating more density within the center of this uh, unit and, more, and less density to the rest, would really allow diversity to happen, to be. And it, it does. It's happening, and it's been very successful. We also designed a little bit the public area and the city center, and what we did is we created a design with with bricks because these people normally work with bricks and this is a region that they, they, they do bricks. And we said these people should build it and that's next part of the, of the process of it. It hasn't been built yet, but our idea was we design it and they build it themselves however it goes. So as I said, we, we're being part of the discussion and it's really hard to change things. So in the beginning, I arrived with very radical ideas, right, of changing the way these units were produced with developers, because this is the people that are doing them. It's private developers, and they have very little constraints and very little rules and, um, to do them. So basically, they can do whatever they want, almost. I mean, I'm reducing it to a, to a limit, but it, but, it, but, it, but it does. And... Uh, so when I started being very political about it, I, um, I realized that uh, it, was very, it was going to be very difficult to change it, like radically. So I finally accepted, which is it's not conformistic. I believe that it's, it's idealistic. Uh, I finally accepted that we needed to work with these people, and we needed to understand their needs, and, and we needed to create something different, slightly different every time we go into a new project. So this project is, was the start of it. So, so we got with, involved with this private developer in Veracruz, which is a state in, in, in Mexico, in the Gulf Coast of Mexico. And he's a very traditional developer doing these units that, as, that I described of 20,000 identical boxes. And, um, and in this case, we couldn't get along uh, or allow to do much in the urban design, uh, but we did. We, we were able to reduce the size of the houses. We were able to reduce the idea of having all the cars in the front. And we were able to, to change certain things and, and to create a new development. But we were, I think that the most successful part of it was that we turned around at least the mind of one developer. So we're going there, there are 2,800, but <laughs> one by one. Um, and what we did is we created a design. First, it was totally, as I said, the, the urban planning that was there was completely changed. And secondly, we totally conceived the unit in a very different way as they normally see it. And we created a patio that we use to create different typologies. And a patio like that in the middle of a house was never there. 
and that allows us to create different possibilities to have houses of different uh, sizes, different uh, typologies, different ways of using the patio. And with that, we created a diversity that uh, it, didn't, it, it was lacking. We convinced him with numbers, with papers, that they would cost the same and, and that the system was very easy to do it. And, but he didn't believe believed us at the beginning, then he put his team to test that. And when, when we passed that line, he said, OK, I believe you. It will cost you the same. But you know what? People is not going to like it. And I said, well, this is what you say. But what people say is like, no, uh, I know the market. I've been there forever. People are not going to like it. They like these houses, identical houses, where they believe they are part of this dream land, and they're, they're, they, they're, they're almost realizing the American dream, as we call it in Mexico. No? So we said, well, why don't we do a focus group? And they said, OK, that's perfectly good. We do a focus group, and they're, they're going to say no. So they did a focus group without us in the table, and they called us and you say, yeah, as we told you, they hate the houses. They'll, no one would buy them. Do another thing. Ciao. And I'm like, no, no, no wait. wait. We need to participate in the same focus group. Put the same people in the table. We go there and we explain the project. And we did. And the people loved the houses. So that's what we achieved. We changed the mind of this guy. One, and we are starting the construction of this place, which I'm very glad to, to, to say. And, and as, as I say, probably for me, it's not yet what it needs to be. But, but I, we have to go little by little, and I hope we could change things like immediately the next day, and that's when, one of my, my things I have in, in life. But, but with this project, I learned to breathe and to, and to think that little by little, then you can do a big change. Um, we, at the same time, and just by chance, this was obviously all the commissions in Mexico of social housing we're working, they are because we've been very political, we've been very involved with these people, and, and that's why, why it comes. But by chance, we get a commission to build social housing in France. This is Lyon. Lyon, uh, it's expanding to a, a former industrial area near this, just behind the city center. This is the city center, and this is Lyon La Confluence. Half of it, or a, a third part of it, has been built. Uh, it's been a a, a new development of uh, mixed use. And the two thirds left are uh, developed uh, in a master plan by Herzog and Emeron. And um, the city decided to create uh, a first, or to build the first block of this new phase that it's going to be built, that it's here. And for that, uh, he asked uh, Herzog and Emeron to decide what to do with it. And they decided to choose three different architects. Uh, one local firm uh, to create this first block. What is uh, very um, was very impressive for me since I arrived was that this is a block of mixed use, normal. But the thing is, that this is an incredible luxury uh, residential tower, and this is social housing, and this is social housing, and this is social housing, and this is luxury enough, and this is very high-end offices buildings. That's, for me, uh, equality. That's, that's what really a society can do to build up and to really create a democracy. This is giving the same opportunities to, the same, to all the people. These people are going to have the same public space, the same transport system, the same stores, the same school, the same medical service they definitely have totally different incomes. So these people are going to pay millions for their apartment. These people are going to pay nothing because they're subsidized by the government. So it's amazing uh, for me that, that way of thinking. And that's France. And they've changed that since they hit the, their heads with the wall doing social housing in the outskirts of every city, when, as they did in the post-war, as we are doing in Mexico. And they did that 40 years ago. And only now they're just starting to really see the transformation. And not yet. You've seen all the problems that this housing that in France has created. And um, 
And so, but understanding these, and at the same time uh, doing research, I was invited uh, by, from a government trip to do uh, uh, a visit to France to understand social housing there, also more in deepness, not only working there, gave me a big opportunities to think very clear. What, what most struck me the, when we were asked to do the design was that we, as I said, had three buildings. So one is uh, two social housing and one is uh, residential. This is social housing. This is the Herzog and Nemeron Tower. This is our building. And, um, and they asked us to, to build, um, uh, to create a design that would target a uh, thousand pounds per square meter of construction. And I say, okay, what about what price we have to target for the for the residential building for the for the free market building, the, the more luxury residential? And they say the same. And I was impressed. This was for me the most impressive part of the story. And then further on, going and moving to the to the design, we're allowed to do anything in the housing um, in the housing projects, like having bal wood balconies, which is I think very very nice for the space, uh, but not in the re in the in the free market one. <laughs> this is the most funny part of the story. There we there they're asking us for ceramic tiles, and we're like, that's horrible. Can we put wood? No. But in the social housing, yes, yes. Very good. Well, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite like it because I don't quite like the result of the other building, but I love the idea that they're not fighting for the social housing. And what we did for these buildings is a very simple move of reminding them where they come and what are, where the good things that they did because they're rejecting totally what they did in the past uh, because obviously this, the model wasn't correctly enough. But there were very good things that Le Corbusier gave to the model, uh, not, not only bad things that now everybody's talking about, which is the, the, the mid-level, the split of the levels in the... In, in the homes gives privacy and it now special nowadays especially where spaces have been very reduced and reduced and more reduced every day this gives an incredible um, uh, solution to a very small space so we decided to remind them obviously we have an incredible legacy in Mexico as well of this this typology which is Mario Pani and this is our first reference but we said listen this comes from from here and um, so, so that was the only move we, we were able almost to, to, to do in this building. But I think that uh, by creating that and creating these spaces that start to become communal spaces within the private, uh, private uh, place, it, it gives a little something. And the, 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 the building number seven, which is also social housing, what we did is uh, we couldn't create this um, the minivore uh, typology, but we decided to create uh, every single apartment in a different way. So every person lives that lives in the building has a different configuration. It's an individual. It has a different um, a different apartment. Although they're very small, as I said, but having these shifts with the with the facade that was very hard to to do. I'm, I'm not going to go into the story. Um, uh, but we created that. Whereas in the, in the free market one, what we did was only a very slight move that you're almost not able to see, uh, that it's uh, creating larger windows in, in the down floors and smaller windows in the high floors, obviously because of the performance of energy. And, um, and, and in this way, we created just an elegant, repetitive thing that just uh, by the elegance of it and the simplicity of it would become something attractive, we thought. And, but most importantly, we decided to push it through and create public spaces within the private building. Um, the, the, the last project I'm going to show, uh, it's a project that we worked uh, recently and that I think it's, it's an incredible future for Mexico. So um, first, a uh, very long time ago, we created a uh, house A in Ordos, uh, Mongolia, which came from a very uh, traditional or like archetypical form of a house that we all have in mind. 
And uh, what we created was um, uh, a modulated system that when we subtracted a part of that module, created the house. Why? Because then we wanted to uh, be this um, uh, house that would be able to ventilate and illuminate from its, within its own volume. That led us to, to think about module. And, and that led us to an incredible project that we're doing now. Uh, modularity can become flexibility to grow, can become uh, something that obviously has been researched longly, and there are many, many, many solutions, but that would allow us to, to fulfill our willings in this, in this commission. And we were approached by a financial institution uh, that gives small credits to, to these people that are really under um, the, they're the base of the pyramid. They're not uh, formal workers. They cannot go into a social housing credit or mortgage. And these people are even subsidized by the government. So we needed to create a house that went not uh, on, on top of a thousand, uh, uh, 120,000 pesos, which is more or less, um, I would say, 6,000 pounds, a little bit less than 6,000 pounds. And, um, and we needed to be right on budget because when you achieve that budget for a house, you get the subsidy from the government. So the people need to pay only half, depending on their income, uh, but more or less the half of it. Uh, so we needed to achieve the price, and our goal was to give more square meters than what we could um, possibly build well, with that money, uh, and what that was that was built till the moment. So uh, how do we do that? We we remember our model from Ordos, and we remember it very in a very interesting way because we first decided, okay, we want to do that. We want to create more space. For, for the people for the same money, and, and how do we do it? So we studied all the designs that were uh, existing in the market, and, well, not all, obviously, that's always never a good word to say, but uh, many of the designs that were there. And, um, and when we finally uh, got to a point where we're saying, we don't know these people, we're designing for ourselves, and we're designing copying models or looking into models and copying, doing research on that. And we need to design for these people, and we need to understand them. So we went and asked the financial institution if we could do interviews, and we, do, we did around 2,000 interviews with the people. And that was a very interesting process of understanding what they wanted. So first of all, what we understood is that they wanted a house that looked like the house. This is what they told us. We, as I said, we were thinking of doing a flat roof with movable walls or a system that would become a roof and a wall in these things. And then they, no, they said, really, we want a house that looks like a house. And why? Because in their, in their minds, in their collective minds, there's this uh, landscape in, of Mexico of these gray houses with the steel bars out uh, that are, were used to be an aspirational thing because people would build the first floor, leave their steel, bar, their steel bars out in order to, to come back and do the second floor, but was never achieved. So now, in the minds of these people, is, that's a saying of failure, of absolute failure, because you were not able to achieve that. And so that's, therefore, that's why they really wanted a house that looks like a house. And when we said, well, we want you to give you a possibility of expansion. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the first thing, it needs to be a house. It needs to be look finished. And, and yeah, if, if we need to sacrifice something, it's that it looks fin it's like it, we cannot expand it, but it needs to look finished. Second thing we, we understood was that they needed a, to, in the rural areas, very interesting how in the rural areas they want a really strong, durable material. In the suburban areas, they don't care. Why? Because in the rural areas, they see these homes for, for the rest of their lives. They see a house that it will last forever. And in the suburban areas, these people move, and they're willing to arrive to the city, to the real city. So they don't care. They can use panel. So we used, this is why we used our model, our oldest model, to create this house that allows you to grow. And with uh, adding, with building, with 
the budget that we could achieve the the the, constru the square meters the with the hard material and adding the, the the industrial pallets to it we were able to give more space so now the house is 62 square meters in in plan but you have a double height and you can increase it yourself and it, it at the end it ends up with almost 130 square meters so um, we built two prototypes one of the rural ones and one of the more urban ones, the also good thing for this model is that it's, so, so, since it's modulated, it, it, it can um, get the different combinations of a house that is needed within the different cultures in Mexico and the different ways of living. So the more, sub, more suburban house has a, a full like modern kitchen and the rural one has a, a traditional kitchen. And this one has the bath toilet integrated into, into the living space, into the sleeping space and the other one has a toilet outside. So these things are achievable within the same model because of the flexibility of it. So also that was very good. So as I said, we built two prototypes of these houses that are going to be built um, in, the, in, in whole, the whole country, I hope, one day, uh, or at least to start being built. And um, by the end of the year, we, ha we should have hundred of them more or less built and I, I forgot to say this is our these places are built in their own plots so people ask for these little loans and they build these houses themselves or with a with a with a supervision and if they build them themselves it's even way cheaper it's almost 30 percent cheaper than 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 six thousand pounds if you get the cell the thing whole completely built it's six thousand pounds so I guess that for me, it's impossible that uh, housing goes in the way that it's going now. It's, it depends on, 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 on the pound. Um, so it, it's all about money, it's all about capitalism, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, the numbers are outrageous. A thousand pounds is a lot of money, and it takes you barely nowhere in major parts of the world. For me, the future of housing, it's, uh, aesthetically speaking, is that of including a diversity of, of ways of thinking and of livings in the city, uh, even in the vertical way. This is um, the, the cover of the magazine Domus we did in March 2012, and it's a cadaver esquisse, and it's a big story. I'm not going to go into it, but it shows a lot what I think that cities are and should be, but also in a vertical way. Why? Because we don't fit anywhere, in, in, in anywhere else. People want to be in the cities, and people need to be in the cities, and we want them to be in the cities. This is what makes this society work. But I think totally that house uh, is a personal achievement. It was make your life go round, and it's a home, as I said in the beginning. A house is not a, a pound, it's a home. The sum of homes makes a collective, makes a place, makes a city, creates a society. And we need a lot of homes to transform the idea that a house is a pound. That idea that today, it goes into that at the end. So I would say that um, with that I can end up my presentation and I would open it a little bit for questions and answer if we have a little time. Thank you very much. We do have a short time for questions before you have to dash off to the airport and get your flight back to Mexico. Uh, we have microphones that are at the back, which will be going around. Would anyone like to begin? No one yet. Sorry, I was so, so clear or so unclear. Well, <laughs> no, well that allows me to, to, to ask a few questions. Um, you mentioned about how you're getting political at various moments in your talk, and, and that was obviously manifested in your approach to architecture. Do you think there's a scope for architects to actually engage in politics itself? I think we have to. I think there is no other way, because as I said, we need to understand also the other side of the story um, in order to transform things. It's very good to dream and to think that you can change things and that things should be totally different from what they are. 
but you need to understand the other part of the story because if not, then, then change will not happen. It would just become an incredible um, solution, graphically very beautiful, uh, but if, if you don't understand the conditions where you can create it and, and, and go into it, then it's just going to stay there. And sometimes, sometimes that at the end becomes reality, but it takes very long. So in order to really change, you, you need to be political and you need to understand, as I said, a little bit the other side of the story. So, um, and, and by achieving like these changes little by little, and, and if we all do it, and we will be able to do it sooner. Mm. Uh, we've got two questions here at the front. We'll go here first, please. It's coming. Um, most architects in Britain, most of the time, if they design housing at all, are, are acting very, very market-driven situations. So it's not like the situation in Lyon, for example. Um, how would you, do you know how you would respond in those sort of circumstances? And, and are there circumstances in which you would just not do the job? I mean, if you're really not given a sort of room in which to... To, to invent or interpret? I haven't got into any situations which I have to reject a job, uh, but I would guess that there could be, I, I imagine. I, I definitely think that um, uh, now everything has become market-driven, everything. So this is my point, actually. This is something that really needs to change uh, because architecture shouldn't be market-driven. Architecture is a very important part of, of life. We can start from health. Health, it's becoming market-driven. And, and that shouldn't be the same as architecture. And um, I think architecture is playing the game, and architects as well, and me as well. I don't, I don't, I don't exclude myself from that, but I'm trying to, not to. And, and when I say I'm trying not to, is I'm trying to understand the other side of the story and understand that, well, these people have a total different vision and how we can like, really introduce a little bit and a little change, like uh, in the project in Veracruz. Um, if, if I would have... I, 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 we started with a very radical position when he asked us for the design. And I'm sorry I didn't put it there. It, it would have been a good one. Um, but, um, uh, and, 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 and then, then I said, we're not going to achieve nothing. What we're going to do, what he's going to do, he's going to hire another architect. Or not the architect, he's going to do it in-house as he has done the past 30 years with a very successful business. So I said, we, we need to understand his, his necessities and we need to understand a little bit, play a little bit his game, no, to change something. And as I said, we, we did. We managed to make him understand at least that an architect could, could give something. And definitely the spaces, I believe, and it's not because I'm pricing my own work, but the spaces, just because they're designed and thought by someone, uh, they're radically different in the quality that they, they're giving to the people. So, so I think that we have to, 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 to really... Um, to really understand it and to try to work with it because that's not going to change very soon. And not at all. It's going to completely be worse. Do you, do you know why he hired you? What did he want from you when he hired you? Because he, he wanted to do, me to do his private home. <laughs> and but good enough, we didn't do that. He decided to do it by himself and we're working with his business. <laughs> um, there was another question. Yes, hello. Uh, do you have any plans to work in the UK? Um, any proposals yet? I would love to, not currently, but I would love to. I definitely would love to work in this environment. It has very different constraints and problems, and I would love to understand them and start working. Um, question there. Um, Tatiana, that was, that was really fascinating and impressive. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, following on from what you were saying earlier, uh, 
wonderful to see the idea of architects becoming involved in, in new build in these developments in Mexico and and I loved in particular the emphasis on variety and public space. But what I'm thinking is, have you had any thoughts about how you might get involved in the rehabilitation of some of the existing developments? And is there any possibility that the abandoned homes, which at the moment are the sort of a mark of failure, could perhaps in some way become a positive in the context of an architectural intervention? That's a very good question, and thank you for asking, because I forgot to tell about it in the roundtable, that I think that what is still a little bit missing from the government policies is to think a little bit, to think on those 12 million people that are living in these places and what's going to happen with them. So I decided to, to work on it um, as a research first, and I'm working with my jail students in five of these units, and when I presented the project to the Infonavit, they were very supportive and they're su sponsoring the studio in the school. So we are working in understanding these places, the abandonment reasons, but most of all, we're trying to propose what could be done. So uh, we chose five specific cases and we're doing a real project. I, we don't know if it's gonna be built at the end. We hope that it might, uh, the, the Carlos Adillo, who we're working directly in the Fonavit, he says he wants to in, to to traduce to this into a real commission. And uh, but at least we are uh, uh, posing the the question, and not the question, raising the 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 minds of people that this is a really next thing to to go there into it. No? Um, first of all, thank you. That was that was so inspiring and so interesting. Um, I was interested in your idea that you were given a master plan, and your instinct was to to fight against the master plan and say we could build design in at this level. And then if if that had been solid, you'd say okay, then maybe we deal with the house or we deal with the public space. Um, given that actually, I think a lot of architects have that experience in the UK. What scale do you think you're, you can be most effective at? If you were going to fight against one thing, what do you think would be the most effective thing to fight against? As I, as I said, I think in the space, in the public space, because um, the, obviously it's very important, as the, these 43 square meters, but, um, but if you don't create an environment good enough, then these 43 square meters, even if they're incredibly good design, they're nothing. They, they're really not worth it. So I think that I would uh, prefer or choose to work in the environment. Great. Yeah. Last question. Probably, probably got time for one more after this one. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, hi. Um, I've been likely enough to um, you know, visit Mexico City and uh, be on site with a friend, um, architect. And um, it was a very interesting project, but I've seen different dynamics in terms of health and safety. And he talked through a few of the issues that he'd faced, like sudden strikes with workers. So I'd like to um, hear from you. What are the challenges that younger architects facing in Mexico now? Because it's very different to the UK, I believe. Definitely. And I think that the challenges are more the opportunities. I think we, the young architects in Mexico, had incredible opportunities, and I think the much more than, than in the UK. I don't know very well the, the context, but a little bit like the same happens in Europe. Much worse in the United States, there's really no good opportunities for young practices to emerge. But in Mexico, since the economy is becoming more stable, architecture is now, again, in the table. So it's a topic. So people are, are really uh, um, uh, getting architects to build their things. And, um, and since it was so bad for a, a number of years uh, in the past, in Mexico, the economy w directly affecting architecture, there are very few remains of uh, the older generation, the generation ahead of us. There are very few architects 
that really continued practicing. So when 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 the stability came and and um, of the economy came and and people were looking for architects, there were no architects there. So all young people like me, I was just going out, get, getting out of school. We just all of a sudden had incredible opportunities of building things that we were like just right out of school. We we were saying among our colleagues like we are doing models one to one. It's like it's crazy, you know. It's really crazy, and uh, so and we are not so good. But the generation behind us, because of that, it's really becoming a, a very strong generation. It's an incredible, um, broad and uh, rich new generation of architects working incredible in Mexico because of the opportunities. Creative people, there's it's everywhere in the world. Good people, good architects, they're always everywhere in the world, but you need the opportunities to build and to create your own practice. And in Mexico, right now, it's an incredible ground for that. Amazing. One more question? Yeah. There we go. Hello. Uh, I'm so glad that to hear that uh, someone is thinking about people's dream, recreating people's dream, and taking them to uh, a little place in the, in the communities. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, a rather nice place to end. Uh, on behalf of the Royal Academy, I'd like to thank Tatiana ever so much for a wonderful and, and inspiring lecture. Um, and I'd also like to take this opportunity to publicly thank the ambassador and the Mexican embassy for all their help in making this lecture possible. And also record the RA's gratitude to our two program supporters, the Drew Heinz Endowment of Architecture and Turkish Ceramics. Now, as I mentioned, Tatiana has to, to rush off to catch a plane. Uh, so I think we'll only be able to join us very, very briefly at the reception afterwards, which has been organized by the Mexican Embassy. And that's taking place in the Keeper's House, which is back in the Royal Academy. You enter the courtyard, head over to the right-hand side, the far corner. There's a double door with a Tracy Emin neon work above it. Should be fairly, <laughs> fairly easy to recognize. Um, and also a quick plug as well for the remaining events we have in the Future of Housing season program a talk by Dallas Pierce Quintero, a young architectural practice who are in the exhibition that accompanies the season, and a debate on the 13th of April, which explores the new realities of ownership brought upon by the housing crisis. So please do uh, join us for that, and also for the reception afterwards. But uh, please now thank Tatiana once again for a wonderful